Oh, yeah, we're ready. I just hit record. Cheers, bitch. Happy October 31st. Happy 11th anniversary of the Bitcoin white paper, the dropping of the Bitcoin white paper, the publishing of the Bitcoin white paper on this day 11 years ago. Satoshi showed up on a cypherpunk mailing list and said, hey, I'm thinking about this idea, this P2P uh, distributed system. That's not exactly what he said, but you get the gist. Matt, happy white paper day. Happy birthday, Bitcoin. One of Bitcoin's two birthdays. Well, great debate. What do you think? Where do you stand? I... Well, today is Bitcoin's birthday. And then in January, on January 3rd, will also be Bitcoin's birthday. And then on January 10th, will also be Bitcoin's birthday. The first transaction. We have three birthdays. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, you know what, the more the merrier. Um, you said you have a story. I just told the story of where I was uh, on October 31st, 2008. Uh, that'll be on the podcast next week, but I should just retell it quickly because uh, it's very... Uh, Divulge. Very timely. I was a senior in high school. 17 at the time, I was wearing a Lieutenant Dangle uh, Halloween costume all day. Uh, it was Halloween my senior year. We were allowed to dress up and uh, go to school in our costumes that day, and it was a glorious day. The Phillies had just won the World Series. I was sitting on the first baseline the night they won. I was there when Brad Lidge dropped to his knees, and uh, uh, Carlos Ruiz ran into his arms. And then, um, yeah, so we partied all night, celebrated the Phillies World Series. I went to school in a Lieutenant Dangle uh, costume the next day, and Little did I know, the little asshole that I was at the time, that Satoshi was uh, publishing something that would affect my life uh, pretty immensely. Now, that's a fucking great story. Well, so 11 years ago, I was sitting at my computer and an email came through on the cypherpunk mailing list. And I said, no, I, uh, it was freshman year of college. I wish I was opening the cypherpunk mailing list. Um, and I, was, I think I was wearing a... Uh, I was, I was dressed as a baby for Halloween, and uh, I had, like, all my associated baby paraphernalia, and I just got ridiculously fucked up that night. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. Well, uh, well did your uh, freshman year of college self, do you, what would he have thought uh, the impact that day would have on him? My freshman year self was completely oblivious to what the fuck was going on around me, you know? That's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy thinking back. Yeah. Well, since then, uh, the price of Bitcoin has gone from zero all the way up to 19000 back down to 3500 and now it currently stands at $9,248.85, according to the TFTC.io ticker. We're at block 601819 getting closer to the halvening. Um, and uh, the current hash rate is 95.29 exahash per second, according to our node. Um. Yeah, big day, big day. Before we get into everything, we got a big list. We got a few shout outs. We got to give a shout out to our sponsors first. Freaks, how confident are you in your key security? What keeps you up at night with your personal opsec? Have you gotten set up with the multisig yet? Uh, our friends at Casa have drummed up one of the smartest, most secure ways to huddle your Bitcoin. No KYC, no altcoins, no percentage fee on your Bitcoin. No one standing between you and your keys. And I believe this week. We're actually going to talk about it later. They just announced the two or three gold pack, or excuse me, gold uh, package members now get two or three multisig, which is like a crazy deal. It's three hundred dollars, and it comes with a node, and then but it's about to raise to four hundred. But I think if you buy at three hundred, it locks you in. Yeah, so it's raising to four hundred because three ninety nine technically because they just 
uh, launched their Casa Node too, so you can pick that up as well. They have different tiers as we're describing here. Use the code TFTC to get up to up to $250 off your Casa membership. Go to keys.casa slash keymaster or email them directly at membership at team.casa for a free demo. Put them through your hardest offset questions. Um, they got different, again, different tiers, uh, with different levels of, of service. The highest tiers will net you some 24 seven VIP service, dedicated client advisors and custom onboarding. So go check them out. And I messed up this read yesterday and had to, to restart during, a midway through the read, the new cash app read. Tales from the Crypt is also brought to you by the Cash App. As you know, Cash App is the simplest way to send and save money. And now it's the simplest way to try to grow your money. Introducing Cash App Investing. Unlike investing tools that only let you buy entire shares of stock, Cash App lets you instantly invest in a little uh, or as much as you want. You can buy partial stocks. This way, when your favorite company stock is just a little too expensive, just, just chip off a little chunk of it. And because Cash App is directly connected to your bank account, there are no four to five day waiting periods for inbound transfers, so you can start investing today. Brokerage services are provided by Cash App Investing, a subsidiary of Square, member SIPC. Uh, and of course, on top of that, they have the boost program still, and uh, most importantly, the ability to stack sats, sell sats, send sats off the app to your own wallet, from your own wallet to the app. Um, and then big news here, big news here, if you haven't downloaded the Cash App yet, uh, they just upped our promo code. So if you use the code stacking sats instead of $5, you're now going to get $10 and $10 is going to go to owls lacrosse. Um, so they just upped it up. If you've been waiting to download the app or a little apprehensive and may want to do it and you want to support this podcast and more importantly, owls lacrosse, use the code stacking sats, download the cash app today. And last but not least, this is also brought to you by Unchain Capital. We talk a lot about multi-sig security and business, uh, excuse me. We talk a lot about multi-sig security, and Unchained offers multi-sig vaults for both individuals and businesses. Unchained's collaborative custody model is a great way to improve security, create redundancy, and reduce risk of single points of failure while also retaining your control and sovereignty. Unchained also offers an integrated lending platform with its multi-sig vaults. If you need liquidity but don't want to sell your Bitcoin, we don't let friends sell Bitcoin. They offer easy access to loans using Bitcoin as collateral. Collateral is always stored on-chain in dedicated multi-sig addresses with the option for you to hold a key. That's important, and it will never be rehypothecated. The Bitcoin will never be rehypothecated. And on top of this, uh, their Bitcoiners working and supporting multiple open source projects, including Slip39, Smart Custody, Hermit, and Caravan. Go check them out at unchained-capital.com. That's unchained-capital.com. And tomorrow, I actually have an episode with Drew dropping, where we talked about a lot of this stuff. So be on the lookout for that. We, do we dove into his uh, Bitcoin in space theory. Fuck yes, Drew's a boss. Well done on the ad reads. Also, it's uh, 10,800 sats per dollar right now. That's uh, very important. 10,800 sats per dollar. We just had a dollar come through on BTC Pay Server 2 earlier. The That's reason I say badass. that is because we got some shout outs. Uh, two shout outs this week. One's really quick, and I have no idea what it means, but it just, it just says, What's good, Slurms? Uh, slurm spelled S L U R M S. I've never been called a slurm before. I don't know if it's. Uh, a dig or an endearing term? Definitely an endearing term. Okay. What's good, Slurms? What's good, Slurms? He Slurms. Uh, and then in true, this is our, our second one. I'm just going to read it because I don't know how else I would do this. In true TFTC style, I'm a bit tipsy. I love you freaks. I would like to spend $50 and 30 fiat to get you to promote the Hal Finning 
as a meme as per Kamina Drummer at Pocket Dev on Twitter. She has helped me down my own personal rabbit hole of Bitcoin in a completely anonymous but 110% altruistic matter. Selflessly, for the sake of the greater good, feel free to promote her profile in the Hal Finning meme however you feel is best, which is this way. She, she, she did not ask for, nor is she aware about this in advance. I want it to be an anonymous surprise in the spirit of Satoshi himself. Brick by brick, block by block, sat by sat. See y'all in the Citadel. Fucking dug that pass, ending. Pass love on. We're going to pass love on. I love that ending. Bit by bit, block by block, sat by sat, see you in the Citadel. Brick by brick, block by block, sat by sat, see you in the Citadel. Fuck yes. See y'all in the Citadel. So this person might be Southern. I'm going to go. No dachshund. South of the, south of the uh, Mason-Dixon line. That's, uh, we're going to reduce our, our, uh, our opportunity set there. Big less this week, but let's talk about the, uh, the anniversary of the white paper a little bit more. I, you know, a lot of people are trying to discern whether or not October 31st was an important date but there, uh, or not. Some people think it's just he did it randomly, but there are some important uh, events that happened on October 31st throughout history, uh, one of which I think if, there was, if, if Satoshi was being intentional with the date that he published the white paper, uh, most likely because of this event in my mind, that's uh, Martin Luther's 95 Theses in October 31st, uh, what was that, 1575? When did he do that? I don't know when he did that. Maybe the, the kids were out with his wife trick-or-treating and he just had some time on his hands. <laughs> I got to figure this out. But uh, <laughs> 1517, that's when it was. Um, you don't like my theory? No, no, the tr- just trick-or-treating didn't even exist back then, did it? I mean, it would mean Satoshi was American, most likely. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, that's the other thing. So there's, there's the uh, so 95 Thesis, Martin Luther, pin the 95 Thesis to uh, the church's walls, basically starting the Reformation, the breakup of the church, which was very impactful throughout human history. Um, and then also Dan Held pointed this out uh, on October 31st. Could be a tip, uh, excuse me, a hat tip to ancient Gaelic festival of uh, Samhain. This event marks the end of harvest season and the beginning of winter. Bitcoin marks the end of fiat and the beginning of the new monetary standard. That's a possibility as well. You know, like when you're in like an English class and you spend a couple hours like speculating on what the author meant about this or that, you know, and yeah. I, I always wonder like what the author thinks when they like listen to it after the fact. So I don't know. I feel like it's kind of similar. What did Satoshi mean? By was the he date? In- do you think he was intentional? Maybe he just had some extra free time on his hands, and he got—he finally got it out. He'd been meaning to get it out for a couple of weeks, and he, she, they. Yeah. Um, but maybe it was intentional. Maybe There's not. a lot of in, like intentional nods. I mean, the Genesis like block was definitely intentional, or was it? Was it just a timestamping uh, proof? There hmm. you go. Maybe that was just a paper he had lying around. Right. Um, it's yes. pretty crazy how far we've come in 11 years. Needless to say. Uh, Bitcoin has just passed a billion dollars in transaction volume. Yeah, shout out to Yassine. Transaction fees. Uh, minor, minor, cumulative minor, miners fees, cumulative fees collected by miners just passed $1 billion. Not including the block reward. Not including the block reward. Yes. Um, shout out uh, Yassine Almandra from uh, ARK Invest for pointing that out yesterday. Big milestone. Uh, obviously, we're above, uh, above block 601,000, so... It's been working uh, almost nonstop. 
It's over $9,000 of fucking Bitcoin. <laughs> Hash rate at all time highs. And again, let's just, let's just take in the gravity of how it came to be. Like Bitcoin is here because some rando that we have no idea who it is uh, at this point in time showed up on some random mailing list and said, Hey, uh, I've been working on this like peer to peer, purely, um, electric. I've been working on this purely peer to peer electronic cash system. Uh, let me know what you think. Started a discussion, a back and forth. And then two months later launches it into the world. And here we are 11 months or excuse me, 11 years later, uh, drinking whiskey with fucking Bitcoin signs on them, talking about this thing. Shout out Ra- White Rabbit BTC. Like how crazy, like that, like from, from zero to I'm holding a glass of whiskey with Bitcoin symbols all around it, like that. And it's in our culture now. I love it. I love it. Cheers. 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 To and Satoshi, to Bitcoin, to Bitcoiners. To Satoshi and... and and on this beautiful uh, eve of the Fast for Satoshi uh, event that we have to remind you of. Uh, first ever Fast for Satoshi. First ever Fast for Satoshi. You're going to forgo eating uh, tomorrow and spend the money that you would have otherwise spent on the meals uh, to stack some sats. Are we picking a block height for breaking fast? <sighs> we should um, pick a block height. What block height are we at now? Our block 600, 1,000. Give me some time here. Got to reload. Um, I forget what I think it was like... There's 144 blocks a day. What block are we at right now? This is the thing. DJ, if you're listening, we need to speed up the ticker a little bit. Let's pick up the pace of the ticker. (laughs) Current block height is 601,819. All right, so let's surmise that uh, we are uh, half a day plus two hours into the day, so that would be... um, what is it? Six thousand one, six hundred thousand one. Yeah, so it'd be like six hundred one thousand. What's so, the block height? Just add add two hundred to the block height. Okay. Right. So yeah, that'd be six hundred two thousand uh, nineteen, I believe. Okay, so at six hundred two thousand, we can break the fast for Satoshi. Okay. Right. Yeah. Nice round number, six hundred two thousand. Six hundred two thousand. I don't. I mean, pff, hashtag this fast is for a, Satoshi. This is in our event, Matt. This is, I know, but he didn't give us a block height, and I think. The, the true Bitcoiner way to handle this is to break the fast based on block height because also it'd be hilarious if we have variance and it's like a two-hour block <laughs> for the last block. But we're all supposed to stack, break the fast and stack sats at the same time, right? Yes, yes. Um, Love that idea. Fast for Satoshi. Starting tomorrow has been a lot of fasting recently, but... Hey, block 602,000. It's a Friday. It's going to be tough, but you got it. 602,000. You just got to make it there for Satoshi. Do it for Satoshi. He gave us this beautiful thing. We're drinking whiskey glasses with Bitcoin on it. It's fucking nuts. Um, uh, big week. This happened right after we recorded last week. Uh, not right after, but a couple of days after. China. China uh, flipped a switch. They're now pro, pro blockchain. blockchain. Pro blockchain, pro Bitcoin. There is a, the state has uh, decided to go full-fledged into blockchain, the Chinese state, and they were on state television, state-sponsored television, and actually educating people about Bitcoin specifically as a Trojan horse into blockchain, quote-unquote, blockchain technology. So it seems that China uh, wants to uh, move forward with this and just accept that it is inevitable. But uh, we also have to remember this is China, and there is definitely some caveats and nuances to what their definition of a blockchain may be and, and how 
accessible it may be. So yeah, they don't want public blockchains that you can use privately. They want you know state controlled uh, panopta chains. Yeah. Did Nick say Nick Nick Carter said panopta chains? I like that. Term. I like panopta chains. I like that a lot as well. Um, but no, no, he Nick was uh, very ardent in pointing out the hypocrisy of uh, people cheerleading. Uh, well, most of them were crypto people, not Bitcoin people. Yeah. Like Munib Blockstack said, uh, Silicon Valley spirit is alive in China. Like that says a lot about Silicon Valley if he actually believes that. Right. It's fucked up. Like they're a fucking authoritarian, horrible state. Yeah, and and again, like. But anyway, it pumped we, Bitcoin. Well, that's what I was just about to say. Like, did it <laughs> pump Bitcoin? I think probably. I mean, it was a forty percent increase. Like Bitcoin, you know, was primed to pump to begin with. Um, the day before, whether it was a coincidence or not, was like a, the second Libra hearings, and Zuckerberg was testifying in front of Congress, and he literally said, he was like, his main argument was like, if you don't let me do it, China's going to do it, um, which I could see being like a pretty effective argument to congressmen. And then right afterwards, the next day, China comes out, kind of did, you know, if you were going to expect something like that, that's what you would see. Um, so either maybe he heard about it or maybe they were prepping something like this and they just, um, you know, because there's a lot of corruption there. Maybe they own blockchain stocks and stuff like that because all the blockchain stocks went up really high because they're easier to access than actual Bitcoin is in a lot for a lot of people in China. Mm-hmm. Um, so like maybe they were like prepping it ahead of time and they were like, oh, shit, this is like great timing to launch for virality. Let's do it. Um, we had just fallen in price. Uh, so. So like a lot of the longs had been liquidated and then people FOMO'd in with shorts. So like it was like nice and primed and the market was a little bit more liquid than usual. Um, yeah, and it just all hit at the, at the same exact time. Yeah, Zuck getting cucked in two ways this week. Chinese government uh, proving his point and then and Jack coming out yesterday and banning all political ads on Twitter. Yeah, that was a power move by Jack. Yeah, really, yeah. Uh, billionaires flexing on each other there because like twitter makes way less money on ads than facebook does so disclaimer cash app sponsor this podcast right in, right cash yeah. app's part of square and jack dorsey's the ceo yeah square. it's got obviously there's a big uh we're gonna keep big that. chain of disclosure yeah the, the discla- disclosure also, i'm a twitter shareholder disclosure yeah disclosure and some square stock there you go very little Full disclosure. Full disclosure. I also have some square stock. Um, now that we got the disclosures out of the way, that move by Jack was very. Um, it was like a that was a nice. It was good nice to quick see. Power move. It's important. So like he, the key that he was saying is like you can't like if it's organic, that's one thing. That's organic speech, but like you shouldn't be able to pay for a political reach. Yes. Right? Yeah. And then. Uh, but then Naraj made an interesting point. Like I wonder if like we'll see more influencers uh, sell their accounts to tweet out political ads because they're immune from it. Like even Trump, did you see Trump just like tweeted out a political ad from his personal account instead? He tweeted out his first campaign ad for the next election. He just tweeted it right out of his personal account last night. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And like, that's not banned, but like you can't pay for the reach. But then like people, like I've been getting into shit with people on Twitter lately about like our giveaways paying for reach. Like, are you buying followers? Are you buying engagement? Are you buying retweets, buying comments? Definitely. By, like, doing a giveaway. So then if you couple that and then you also tweet out political things from that thing, is that paid reach? Like, then just Twitter's not even getting a cut of that. I don't know. There's no easy answers here. No. 
there's always workarounds. People will try to route around it. And it'll be funny to see which uh, quote-unquote influencers sell their, their accounts. Do you think, uh, like, what the fuck's his name? Logan Paul? I mean, if you're going to do it, you should, you should do it for Bitcoin, I think. What do you mean? I think Bitcoin would be the ideal currency to uh, sell your account, <laughs> to sell your account in. Yeah, make sure you're running it through Wasabi. Send it from Wasabi, run receive it node. into Wasabi, run your own node, validate that transaction. If you're going to be messing, meddling with elections, this is not advice. This is not advice <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, but yeah... So China, let's get back to... Do you think it was the pump? Do you think China was the main reason? I mean, I could say... The point I want to make here is, like, it may have been. You just will never know. Um, Yeah. It probably was. I mean, mean, apparently, you look at the data coming out, if it is believable or not, I'm not sure, but it seems to be at least uh, passing the sniff test of, of some influencers on Twitter or journalists on Twitter, but the search rates for bitcoin and blockchain on the uh, chinese I mean, they definitely went up it was like it was like on the front page of their newspapers and stuff yeah and then i mean i think a lot of it came from america too right just seeing like oh like the china pump is happening and then the americans jump in yeah and that and this is what we're talking about with uh, alpha zeta too like it is geopolitical now like how does trump does trump respond to this if so how how could america posture in a way that would be uh free market enabling and not too intrusive, but also put America in a good position to compete with China. I don't think it's going to be at a Bitcoin level at the end of the day, but uh, for, for mindshare, for the, you can see this easily turning into the battle versus the private blockchains and the public blockchains. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I, I see the, I, I, I'm like trying to logic out what the reasoning would be behind doing this because like a Chinese dominated blockchain is obviously very dystopian. And but is it any more dystopian than something like WeChat, which they already have completely dominated, right? It's like not that much more dystopian. Um, That's a good point. Uh, so like they're going that route anyway. So then you ask yourself, what was the reasons to pump it? And I would say... I feel like there's two reasons. There's you can make America look like we're backwards and we're behind the times. It's like an easy dunk. Um, you know, these people are people, right? And they like dunking on each other just as much as we do. Uh, you know, China's in the middle of a trade war with Trump and all this shit's going on, right? Um, and then the second thing is it's like super easy. It's just like an old school pump and dump, right? Like we've seen this in Bitcoin's history so often where like someone who has a lot of influence realizes they can move the price around and and they can benefit from it ahead of time right like it's actually uh a theory i've heard recently from uh people uh close to the situation in china is that maybe these altcoins are just a, a wealth extraction tool from to the east from the west right uh the eastern culture is very prone to gambling and in high risk and stuff like that especially in china and uh recently before the Chinese news was announced, like Neo pumped like a hundred percent, I believe, in the last yeah exactly month or something like that, um, and then pumped even more. All the all the Chinese ones, all the Asian ones, pumped harder after. Yeah, uh, he made his comments. So there's something like we are obviously very uh, have a very American bias here, like as much like as much as we 
believe and uh, are very confident in the fact that Bitcoin will be a winner, take most of winner take all in this market. There is other forces at play, other cultures at play that aren't really in it for sort of value, but more high risk gambling. I mean, we could have pumping ups on the side and like all these altcoins while Bitcoin continues to decouple and move up higher. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not I'm not. Even that's probably what we're going to have. Like, that's probably going to yeah. be the result. Right? Yeah, I agree. Uh, but I, I'm not trying to insinuate that any of these would ever overtake Bitcoin at any point in time. But that um, just the, the human drive um, to gamble. And it, wasn't Vitalik in China persist. this week, too? Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people on crypto Twitter have changed uh, their their Twitter names to Chinese. Uh, oh, well, I think that's like part joke because Dovi did it first and then Udi started doing it. And Oh, yeah. I wonder what my name looks like in China. China, oh my God, Jesus Christ, in Chinese. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Your name would look exactly the same in China if it was spelled with our characters. Yes, it would. It would. I wonder what my uh, name looks like in Chinese, spelt in Chinese. Um, yeah, so the China meme's big. It was big this week. I would not expect them to uh, be very uh, uh, forward-thinking with public blockchains in the future i would expect them to turn into a, a panopta chain as nick carter said oh, one other thing uh just to get you guys ready for it is they've just renewed their ability to uh create a dump of china bans bitcoin which is their favorite uh if we remember in the last cycle it was just like every week china banned bitcoin oh, yeah. and the price got hit this is, um, so be on the lookout for the next China ban Bitcoin FUD. Yeah, this is the big uh, this is a big setup for for a big FUD line in the future. There you go. If they can move the markets up and down, people will do it. All right, people will do it. We shall see. Um, next topic: our friend, my co-host, our beautiful Matt Odell put together a nice infographic for you freaks of Wasabi verse. Um, uh, samurai and their yeah, the different trade offs and different how they're set up. So walk us through it, Matt. Uh, I mean, we've talked about it a bunch of times. I actually, we talked about it on the pod the last two weeks. Uh, I just wanted to put it down in writing, uh, just to easy, easier to digest. So if you freaks have any more questions about the different trade-offs between Samurai and Wasabi, I enjoy and use both, and I appreciate both the teams. Uh, just go check that link and look through it. Yeah. And um, there's a lot, of, a lot of drama. Can we get peace between... Wasabi and the there will never be peace. Let's let there be peace. Give but, peace a uh, chance. Hopefully, there'll be less drama. That'd be nice, uh, and just constant improvements. I want them to each one up the other. That would be nice. Yeah. And also, today is Wasabi's one-year birthday. Happy birthday! I've said on this pod before, uh, confusingly, uh, that it's two years old, or one year old, or eight months old. I'm all over the fucking place, and it's been officially one year. And that's pretty fucking crazy, I think, how much, how, like, between Lightning and CoinJoin uh, and BTC Pay, where we've come in these last year, just in terms of tools built on top of Bitcoin, is absolutely mind-blowing. Like, we are just, ripping. It's just, yeah, impressive. Super impressive. Yeah. So, happy birthday to Wasabi. Um, let's give a sh- another shout-out to, uh, to Join Market as well. Join Market is another. Oh, yeah, that's very important. Yes. So Join Market, we actually don't talk about a lot on this podcast because um, it's not very user-friendly. You doesn't they, have a GUI. You have to use the command they, line. They, they have a GUI for a graphic user interface for, uh, for takers, but you still need to use the command line to set it up, and you need to run your own node. And it's, I mean, you should be running your own node anyway, but it's, just, it's very complicated for uh, the land. average person to use. I think like 95% of people on Bitcoin Twitter can use Wasabi or Samurai. Um, 
like probably like 15% could use join market. Um, but join market is really cool in that it doesn't, it doesn't have, uh, like the centralized coordinator, like they do, um, on Wasabi and Samurai. And the way they get around that is the coordinator is literally the person who is the maker. So, so someone offers up, you know, a certain amount of Bitcoin that can be mixed. Um, and they put whatever their fee is and the fee is set by the market. So basically everyone's putting their different fees and, and you can choose from which one you use. So it's competitive. Um, and then the taker takes it and creates that transaction. So it, cre- it does, it creates a financial incentive to, uh, provide coin join liquidity, which is dope. We love financial incentives, uh, in Bitcoin. Like it, that is fucking awesome. Uh, it's worth noting that like Samurai is like kind of inching towards that because you don't pay for remixing. So almost, it's almost like, uh, the, the, the taker is paying the, the mixing transaction for the minor fee and the mixing fee, uh, they're paying for, for the maker. Right. So it's like close and like, presumably Samurai could eventually, uh, make it. So you actually make money to provide liquidity. I think that'd be pretty dope considering I already provide liquidity anyway. It'd be nice to make a little bit. Um, and it'll just drive, it'll drive more liquidity. So also it would be awesome if we could see join market become easier to use. And it looks like some people are working on that. So stay tuned. Wow. That just, this thought just crossed my, these two wires just crossed in my brain. So you can have, if they offer the makers, uh, like a percentage fee or fees that could be like a quasi Bitcoin savings account, right? While you're providing liquidity for a coin joins. Without a trusted third party. Without a trusted third party. Yeah, just like Lightning, too, is similar in that way. Um, I mean, in both, in both cases, with large amounts of liquidity, prices should get driven down, right? So the actual fees you can make are going to go down if it's relatively easy for people to enter the system and provide uh, that value. Yeah. Like, I'm still... I was, I was just recently on... Uh, ledger statuses podcast and we were he's a lightning noob and we were talking about lightning and and he asked me if he if i thought like lightning fees would rise and um rusty russell was just talking about this and he thinks they are definitely going to rise and i mean they're super low right now so they are definitely going to rise but i'm not sold to like on how sustainable levels they'll reach because it's so easy to run a node um, you can run it through Tor anonymously. Right. You can run it for low cost. And there's so many ideologues in Bitcoin, like just where ideology rules everything around them, including us. And like, are those people going to raise their fees to like sustainable business levels or are they going to undercut everybody? Right. Like I, like I kind of think like the TFTC note is going to be undercutting everybody for a while. And I just wonder where that equ- equilibrium hits. Yeah. The market will, will find it. Um, another thing I want to say about join market too, is they have, uh, you can do up to like 200 Bitcoin coin joins up there. So yeah, because of the maker taker structure, like the maker can do as much as they want. Yeah. So if you're like a big hodler out there has been thinking about, uh, mixing, but is worried, uh, with the Anon set on other mixers. It's very difficult to use now. I'm just warning you. Yeah. Well, you can learn, you can learn. Um, so yeah, beware, go check out that, uh, comparison chart. It was really good. Yeah. And I didn't list join market there. You could just, there's two things. It's, it's dope and it's difficult to use. Yeah. Um, speaking of dope, this next story is really dope. Uh, Antoine from Coinmetrics is a fucking mensch and he came out with really good. Uh, he did some research on uh, nonce distributions between different blockchains, Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, 
Monero, I believe as well. Um, and a couple others. Uh, and it's crazy what this data can show you. So nonce data is basically, um, I'm probably going to butcher this, but the nonce creates an extra amount of entropy when you're mining a block and it's the first data point of a block. Correct. And it, yeah, it's like where they cycle through the numbers, right? Yeah. And, uh, it's supposed to be, have a completely random distribution, but given, uh, mining hardware, depending on where, uh, a blockchain is and what mining hardware is used on that blockchain. So Ethereum, it's highly speculated that it's mainly GPUs, but this data is proving that maybe around block or there's uh, ETH ASICs now with, uh, Bitmain, right? Was it Bitmain or Antminer? Bitmain, ETH, yeah. but they're not, wait, well, Bitmain, Antminer is Bitmain. Yeah. Uh, they're, the E3 isn't a real ASIC. It's like a bunch of GPUs that are hyper-optimized for it. Yeah. But, like, it kind of looks like from that nonce graph that they, like, intentionally didn't give you any conclusions on the data. They just explained the data. Yeah, but you can basically it glean kinda, that Bitmain was definitely mining with these miners yeah. before they released Which it to the market. It's kind of known already. And then also it, you, they're showing how you can see that they mostly gave them to... Uh, like Asian mining pools and Asian miners were the main recipients of the first batches. They like show the different pools in comparison. Um, disclaimer, pools are self-reporting, um, but they probably don't know that they're leaking that nonce data yeah. there. And then the other thing is on the graph, it kind of shows, it looks like there might be like ASICs now, undisclosed ASICs on Ethereum. Yeah. Um, which I think I've, a lot of us have speculated for a while. I think if you have... Um, it doesn't matter what your algorithm is. Like they'll always, you'll always be able to be build purpose built, um, machines yeah, that will be more performant than uh, general purpose. Cause that's just how efficiency works. I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure it was Antoine who did a, a, a nonce, uh, research piece, uh, for Monero specifically earlier this year or about a year ago. And he has Monero in there too. Yeah. Um, but he basically proved whoever did the non uh, data analysis that I'm pretty sure it's him. I'm not positive though, so I don't. Like he showed it in this one as well. Yeah, that so Monero has the every six months hard fork out ASICs and you see the ASICs come back, yeah. new ASICs come back. Yeah, so and like that's like so if you, you can do ASIC resistance, but you have to constantly change the algo all the time, and then it's like who gets to choose what you change the algo to? Uh, how do you reach consensus on that? And does that person have insider information that leads to him getting ASICs ahead of everyone else, right? So it's a centralizing factor. It's not really a usable, workable scenario for a so-called distributed chain. Yeah. And I just want to read the official definition of a nonce so I don't give any misinformation out there. The nonce in a Bitcoin block is a 32-bit, 4-byte field whose value is adjusted by miners so that the hash of the block will be less than or equal to the current target of the network. The rest of the fields may not be changed as they have a defined meaning. Yeah, um, you got to write pretty much on the first try. Yeah. It's, it's tough. It's tough trying to keep all this up. There's a lot to know. A lot of Bitcoin comes at you fast. It's just constant learning. You never really stop. Yeah. Um, so when you get a chance, go check out uh, that Coinmetrics piece. Again, they don't make any Subscribe. conclusions. Subscribe. That's their yeah. uh, newsletter. And that's... Uh, that's actually another good thing at Coinmetrics, too. They don't try to put together, uh, excuse me, put forward any of their opinions. They just try to lay the data out. And this piece in particular was very good. Uh, It'd be nice to have some more opinions, though, if yeah. you're listening. Coinmetrics team. Yeah, it would be. I mean, it, so for ETH in particular, they're 
debating uh, switching to Prague POW. Um, Prague POW. Prague POW. Um, and this data is like, yeah, is it worth it? Because that's GPU driven, right? Well, it also kind of shows that there's ASICs, so they might freak the fuck out. Yeah. Because they don't like ASICs over on Ethereum. <sighs> Bad for the environment. Is that their reasoning for it? So I think this disclosure, they're a sponsor, but I think this Casa Gold 2 of 3 is like a big improvement. Um, because before it was, it was, it's their cheapest plan, but it was, it was, uh, $300, two of three multi-sig, but like one of the keys was their mobile key and one of the key, like the key on your app. And then the other key they held. And then the third key was on a hardware wallet. Um, and then the worry there is that like they do something malicious on the app and they pulled two of, two of the three keys cause they already have a key and then they can get your funds. Um, so it's nice that. Now they have two hardware wallets and the mobile key. Uh, it's going to be, it's, if it's not, if they haven't raised the price to 400, they're about to, and you get locked in if you buy it at 300, but at $400, you get a new node every time they come out with a new version. Um, you get this multi-sig, it's like pretty decently secure multi-sig, uh, with two hardware wallets, you do two different brands right now. They don't support gold card yet, but they're working on it and keep poking them. Um, but like I, you know, you have a cold card treasure, uh, Casa multi-sig like that's probably pretty good um, two caveats there are uh, privacy and sovereignty uh, you're you're using their node to validate your transactions and they could they say they're not logging and I don't think they're logging but they presumably could um, if they wanted to uh, because they see your balances so the, those are the two issues yeah I doubt Jameson Lop is, uh, is logging but yeah it is um something to be aware of and yeah so the two or three multi-sig is now open to gold members but i think the dream is they're gonna fucking run all this shit through the casa node it should be fucking dope right but like this is you know so nick also did uh he did a presentation nick carter recently i don't have that in there we actually should talk about it about custodians and how much bitcoin they own um and right now i think he has it at like four million bitcoin on the lower bound or something like that three million four million bitcoin uh, which isn't it's pretty surprisingly low, my right? Yeah. yeah, it is the lower bound. So like he doesn't have some Asian exchanges in there, but like the two big ones he has, like Zappo and Coinbase, and it's not so. But for those people, like if you're using a custodial solution right now, um, like something like Casa or Unchained, it's like massive, massive improvement. Um, over custodian, so yeah, multi-sig is a massive disclosure. on changes also a sponsor of the podcast. Yeah, disclosure, disclosure, but multi-sig is just overall better um, from from a security perspective. Well, I mean, there's different trade-offs, right? Like, because yeah. you do have this privacy. for big amounts for big amounts. Well, you have this privacy trade-off, you know, and and you know, there's like, there, I, I think like the the Casa app is still closed source. Um, so like, and they're showing you like your receive addresses and then you, you, you have the issue with Unchained where they're showing the receive addresses and it's through a browser. So you want to make sure you don't have extensions and stuff. So like, there's so much fucking nuance between, you know, security and where does privacy bleed into security? But in general, yeah, multi-sig like removes single points of failure. It allows you to be distributed and have your keys in multiple places. If like your house burns down or something fucking happens, you lose a key. Uh, that's fucking dope. And I think in general, just like using multiple methods is like probably one of the key uh, 
the things keys. you can do yeah. because it's you know it's like the titanic well the titanic didn't work but like at least it's compartmentalized so like if you lose one what however you stored it one way you lose that uh you still have the Why rest of bring the Titan- titanic's a terrible analogy but they were like they pioneered this tactic they just didn't implement it well it was an implementation <laughs> detail it wasn't a, <laughs> Uh, uh, the strategy was sound, just the yeah. implementation was poor. Yeah, obviously. Um, yeah, no, and, and to add on to that, like we have people like Justin Moon working on things like Junction, which I'm I, super excited for Junction. Yeah, which it, it can help solve these problems or at least uh, abate them a bit. Yeah, Junction plus Core plus a cold card plus a treasure plus like a BitBoy or like Spectre or something, and bang, bang, you got like a nice little multi-sig setup running through your own node privately uh that's gonna be fucking dope i'm yeah. super excited for that I'm and that's why you guys that's why you freaks haven't gotten any multi-sig guides on tftc.tv yet because i don't want to fucking go through all the nuances of electrum i'm just done with it and <coughs> you'll get a guide when like junction inspector and all these other there's a couple other guys working on some multi good multi-sig tools that just hook right into core with hwi and i that, I think that's going to be the way to go for anyone who doesn't want to have a, uh, a key signing service. Yeah, and uh, Shill here, if you want to learn about multi-sig and junction and all this stuff, go listen to the Justin Moon episode. We get very in-depth good... in the derivation pass and stuff like that. There's a lot of nuance that goes into all this stuff, and hopefully it'll all be abstracted over time, but it can't hurt to understand it at least a bit at this point in time. Seconded. That episode is fucking dope. This is pretty dope. Breeze uh, announces lightning rod. So there's actually some contention of whether or not it's dope or not, but it seems dope off the feature. So I read the article uh, on the shitter right before we hit record. Uh, so that's uh, about my knowledge. But from what I understand, it allows somebody to send a lightning transaction or invoice and then go offline and have that invoice uh, either paid or sent later. Yeah, it's basically an HTLC inside of an HTLC. So like lightning uses these hash time lock contracts that allow you to route these payments around without a custodian. So like the person can never, who's routing it can never steal your money. In this case, uh, before going offline, the recipient is sending the, the secret that is going to be used for the hash to the sender. So the sender at any point can send a transaction to them. They hash that secret. It goes through rod, uh, and then, so if, if they don't take it, it goes back. So it's either you, you either prove the hash or, um, the or the lock. time lock expires and it goes back. And then once they approve the hash, the sender can then be offline still because Rod takes it back. And in that case, it's a HODL invoice, which is a, a longer term uh, HTLC, which basically like instead of expiring in an hour or two hours, expires in like a week. Um, so then if the sender comes back online within a week, they can then, the whole payment can get processed. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a stopgap uh, kind of solution so to allow people to send non-custodial lightning payments uh, without being online. Uh, Rusty Russell commented about it on Twitter. Like, he, like, subtweeted it. He didn't really call them out by name, but I think that's what he was talking about. Um, and he, he said that it's, it's an attack vector uh, through, like, spamming uh, these long-term invoices. And, like, they're not disabling them right now. But if it does get abused in the future, they might have to start disabling them. So don't build a business around it. Why? Like, why can't you just create unlimited invoices that expire? Well, that's the issue is that there's no cost 
uh, to create. But is there a cost to store those? Like, what's the those invoices? I'm not positive, but there's a spam attack in there. Uh, yeah. We'll link Rusty. I, I I don't. I had didn't link Rusty's thread before we started, so I can't look at it really quickly. But he said there's an attack vector there where it doesn't. I think it doesn't cost you anything to have all these HTLCs out. Um, but I guess the, the receiver is can like, just accept them back. Well, the question is, yeah, how how burdensome is it for the receiver? Oh, maybe. Okay, maybe it's because. I mean, don't, I guess don't quote me on this, but it's because if you're routing through other people's nodes and then you send like back to yourself, like so you maybe send they're back siphoning to your, off some of the Satoshis in their channel. And they yeah. Get, and you're like leaving all these open invoices yeah. just like sitting on the, sitting through that have been routed through the network, but uh, you're not accepting them. That's an so issue. So you can have more invoices in the sats in your, uh, in your channel. That I don't know. Spam it that way. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know enough. But anyway, he says it's an attack vector, so don't build a business around it. I think it's just, you know, it's a stopgap, whatever. We're just trying to make it work right now. Uh, Breeze was very good about doing that in the first place with their app. You know, their app, they automatically lock up funds uh, to open a channel to you. And if you never deposit money into your Breeze account, they never get paid for opening that channel. Um, if you do deposit, then they take the fee after the fact by making you leave 600 sats in the channel. But... Uh, that's a a trick to use right now in order to make lightning onboarding easy without custodians. So that should be commended, and uh, I enjoy the lightning pun. Yeah, Rod. <laughs> lightning yeah. Rod, yeah. Shout out to Rod Rudy from Bitcoin Magazine, too. That's the first thing I thought of, <laughs> Lightning Rod. Shout out, Rod. Love your brother. Congrats on Tony Hawk. Oh, yeah, they got Tony Hawk for Bitcoin 2020. Yeah. Um, which we had heard grumblings about for a little bit. So uh, I think tickets are still pretty cheap. So if you, if you remember an earlier episode, I like shilled it pretty hard about going or at least buying a ticket at like 20 bucks. And that was because like, there was like a pretty good chance Tony Hawk was happening. So Tony Hawk is happening. We're not sure if a half pipe's happening, but it might happen. And uh, hey, maybe Uncle Marty's got to hop back on the board. Uh, dude, it's going to be good. In. It's going to be good. Maybe I'll drop in with Tony. Oh, so if, if, if the freaks aren't aware, Tony Hawk nonchalantly in a Twitter thread. Five years, baby. Dropped that he has been in Bitcoin for five years. Uh, like, what was it, like three months ago or something? Yeah, in June. And it was just like someone unprovoked underneath in one of his tweets was like, do Are you, you like Bitcoin? Because no, I think it was pumping like the April 1st pump or something like that. He's like, are you riding this wave? This is like a half pipe you've never even seen, Tony. He's Hawk. like, I've been riding this wave for the last five years. <laughs> like, what? Shout out, Tony. I don't know if you're a listener. Um, but we're excited that you're going to be in San Francisco next Tony week. Tony Hawk Pro Skater was the best fucking game. Actually, that's a game we didn't mention last week that was very formative. The, the, the soundtracks of those games uh, were extremely formative for me. Um, and being a kid from Philly and then transplanted to Delco... Huge Bam Margera fan, like when Jackass was hitting and CKY videos were out. Like I was a huge Bam fan and seeing him on on Tony Hawk was insane. And Tony Hawk was one of the most fun games to play. Like if you knew how to manual and transition, uh, you were you were getting a couple mil points in one ride there. I fucking loved it. Uh, when when Tony Hawk Pro Skater game with Sats. Sooner rather than later. He's a forward thinker, Tony is. Um, it'd be great to get him on the podcast. That'd be fucking. I'm dope. working on Tony. If you're listening, 
I've been working on him in his DMs. Don't worry. On Instagram, he has his Instagram DMs open. There you go. We love you. We love you, Tony. Come on the pod. Really? Like my dad would be fucking ecstatic if we got Tony on the pod. He used to sit with me and my brother and play TH uh, PS2 all the time. There you go. Yeah. Um, lightning and privacy. This is actually something I was going to write about yesterday, but I got uh, I got thrown off the beaten path by a crazy Fed paper that we'll talk about later. But uh, Eric Wall gave a great uh, speech on just actually Big Brother. There's many things. He explained how surveillance states surveil their citizens. Uh, the state of cryptocurrency privacy at the moment, uh, where it's lacking, where it's good, and then how it could get better in the future. And towards the end of the talk, he uh, moved the focus towards Lightning Network in particular and pinpointed some pretty uh, big attack vectors, merchants in particular, and, and ways we could uh, mitigate these privacy leaks in the future. And, and the solution is basically turning Lightning Network into a quasi-VPN system. Well, first of all, it's definitely worth listening to Eric's talk. It was a great talk. Eric is... Smart dude, Madam Riga. He's a pretty great dude. Um, and he's like doing a bunch of work for the Human Rights Foundation now. It's our buddy Alex Gladstein's over there too, which is great. Uh, Lightning, specifically for privacy, I think is very underrated. Um, yeah, are there some pitfalls we have right now? Sure, but it's still a very young network and it it makes substantial privacy gains over basically recording every single transaction you make on this ledger that's going to exist for all of time, right? So like with Lightning, you need to be doing active surveillance. You have to be running nodes. Um, like when Lightning is mature, like at least, like you're going to, because right now there's just not that many uh, Lightning transactions or Lightning channel opens and stuff like that. Um, but especially when we have Snore and Taproot. But anyway, uh, you're going to have to be running multiple nodes, staking Bitcoin, essentially pumping the price of Bitcoin, increasing liquidity of Lightning Network, and running these nodes and logging transactions that go through your nodes. Because every time it goes through a hop, like you need to be able to see that hop and see it happening, right? Um, and private channels are going to make that even more difficult. So there's some major privacy gains to gain from Lightning here. Uh, and then other little things like when, when people buy stuff, like when they buy merch from our store, um, and they their addresses gets provided right so they could be getting tied to their bitcoin as and their address their human address well freaks um, freaks are actually on top of this and most of our transactions are coming via lightning well that's fucking dope but the key there is what most people don't realize is when you pay with regular on-chain bitcoin um you usually pay with the utxo that's more than the amount that you're paying with but obviously you don't have an exact amount in utxo and in your wallet you get back the change right um so if you get back that change, that change is linked to your address, and then you're screwed. Uh, you don't realize, if the, if the person's logging or reporting those addresses, you don't realize, and that change is sitting in your wallet waiting to get commingled with your other Bitcoin and link you. But with Lightning, there's no change. And one of the interesting things is this week on BitDevs, this week on BitDevs, this week in BitDevs, which is our awesome New York City meetup that we have uh, once a month, they brought in a chain analysis uh, team and I actually, there was like a Q&A period and I asked him, you know, he was like, we can jump between chains, we can see through shapeshift, we can see through all this stuff. Um, he specifically named like two things he can't see is like if it goes into an exchange, because um, that, that basically acts as like a centralized mixer or if people are using Monero, they're not like, but they can see going to and from Monero, like if we go through shapeshift. Um, and then I asked him about lightning. I was like, are you actively tracking lightning? Um, 
And he said they aren't. And he said that he doesn't think that it's feasible for them to do it. They're not even going to offer it as a product. So just take that as you will. He seemed genuine. He seemed deflated when I asked him the question. That's, like, what, he, ah. that's what he wants us to think. I don't know. I, I think maybe some people will try to attempt to, but it's going to, um, it's going to cost them a lot of money. It's going to be way more difficult. It's going to, like I said, it's going to take active surveillance. And then even then, it, like one or two players maybe will have a really good view the network, are they actually going to share that information with other people? Um, you know, like things like he said, like we can't see through the exchanges. Like obviously if you're the U.S. government, you just subpoena the exchanges, right? And you add that data to the mix, right? But like a private actor can't see it. So it also depends which actor you are, right? Like where you stand in the totem pole of the world. Like many things that we've been talking about tonight, uh, a lot of nuance. And Matt is going to shut the window because they're showing uh, somebody our studio space here. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of nuance that goes into it. It's not perfect yet. Definitely go listen to Eric's talk, but it is better, I would argue. And yeah, I think people are using it too, which is great to see. I think if we see the flow of you buy or earn Bitcoin, you go through CoinJoin, you send it to your cold storage, you know, like you send it to like a multi-sig hardware wallet set up. And then you... In small batches, you like top up your your Lightning wallet uh, with like submarine swaps, like Lupin, for instance, through Lightning. You top you top up your Lightning wallet and you spend, you know, however much you need to spend through Lightning. And then as that channel gets depleted, you just reload it, right? You'll have like one or two big private channels to like some routing nodes that you know hopefully you trust more than others, and um, you run the whole thing through Tor. And you just top up as you go. That seems like a pretty reasonable stack to me that I think most people can do that will give them like decent privacy guarantees and obviously run your own node. A decentralized private futures? Not here yet, but I can see the roads being built. I can see it being built slowly but surely. Um, Staying on the topic of Lightning, if you are running um, C-Lightning, they just released version 0.7.3. So go check that out. Uh, Not check it out. Upgrade. Upgrade. if you so wish, I'm not going to force you to upgrade, but you can upgrade if you will. It's usually recommended that you do upgrade. Uh, the highlights is that Lightning D now supports different SQL backends, um, which includes a Postgres SQL driver in addition to default SQLite 3 driver. I'm sure some of you developers are laughing at me right now for messing some of this up, but whatever. Um, ability to supply a Bitcoin address to close a channel. Um, which is a function within C Lightning in particular. Um, top of that, UTXO selection is provided with withdrawal and TX prepare. And this is all stuff that, uh, if you're not a developer, is probably going to be over your head. So if you are a developer, go check out the C Lightning version 0.7.3. Check it out. Test it. Help out. Um, I just... I just found the thread about Rusty that Rusty Russell uh, tweeted about the HODL invoices, and he didn't. I, it makes me feel better. He didn't actually give specifics. He was just like, "This could be weaponized and abused, um, and if it does get abused, then we might have to just knock it out in Rethink the protocol it. level." Yeah. yeah. And then on top of that, I don't, do you have this in here? Um, the macaroon news. Oh yeah, that's we and we actually kind of touched on that with Evan. Uh, that we just we dropped that podcast yesterday mm-hmm. uh, really great conversation make sure you freaks listen to it uh if you only turn, tune into rhr and you rarely listen to the interviews go listen to that interview that's a really good interview uh we talked about a whole slew of things and evan's fucking dope 
Yeah. And one thing we talked about was like macaroon access and how it can create like a quasi API call for you. Like OAuth almost. Right? Yeah. Where you give individual permissions. Yeah. And uh, I believe the L&D team in particular is working. I think Bruce Beef is working to make macaroon access more granular uh, and, and more accessible for L&D users. And I think it's next release. It's not out yet, right? No, not out yet. But they're definitely, I think... There was debate about whether or not they were going to do it, and it seems like uh, the debate is over and they're going to do it. Like right now, there's only two macaroons. It's read-only and everything. So it'd be nice if you can just split out those permissions to like a bunch of different things. Yes. Um, Different levels, different permissions, blah, blah, blah. Um, So uh, be on the lookout for that as well. And then this was actually... Excuse me. Um, something that we're very passionate about here, Matt in particular, is running tour and uh, donations to tour between now and November 4th will be matched by Mozilla, which is uh, one of the oldest open source internet projects uh, alive right now. Obviously, the browser. What, Mozilla? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's just good. Just donate to tour, and now Mozilla has to pay you know, that same amount. It's, it's, if you're going to donate to tour, it's as good as time as ever. Yeah. When's the next Stellar drop? Is it about to happen? That'd be nice if I could just get Mozilla to Mozilla to match my fucking Stellar donation. Jeremy Rubin, when's the next Stellar drop? But anyway, I actually donated to Sats directly this time, so I, it's just a good cause. It's important. Uh, their main, they do have a source of funding that is the U.S. government, um, which they get a lot of fud from, but uh, rightfully so, I would say. Uh, but. Their overwhelming majority of funds are through individual charitable contributions. So consider donating and keeping their incentives aligned appropriately. Well, Tor is not being donated to by the U.S. government. You're talking about Mozilla, right? Nope. Nope. Tor, Tor? is funded by like the NSA and shit. Really? Like the Department of Justice. So one of, one of the three-letter agencies or something, they get like a chunk of their... Because the idea is that it promotes freedom and... and it, the, the idea is that it hurts our enemies more than it hurts us, right? Okay. And it allows like all these dissidents and stuff to communicate and that our agents and stuff can use it and stuff like that. Right. right. Just like we've helped like DARPA was the guys who did the internet in the beginning. Right. That's more of this, please. Three letter agencies, the alphabet suit motherfuckers. Come on. But it's also one of like the biggest complaints about tour, but yeah, yeah it's open source. So yeah. Um, speaking of open source, our friends at cold card, shout out Rodolfo, you fucking legend, uh, just released the full schematics of the hardware. So if you want to, put the cold card together yourself uh, with each individual part you can. Rodolfo has made the parts that you would need to acquire and assemble open source. Uh, we're going to link to that um, blog post. And yeah, it's your cold card team just fucking always stepping up. Yeah, that's fucking badass. We need to see more more of that from uh, their competitors. Uh, otherwise, cold card is going to continue to lead the way. Um, is the best hardware wallet on the market. Uh, the, uh, other thing I wanted to shout out because Rodolfo is a boss, uh, he's having his second, uh, meetup, in a, um, in, uh, in, in Toronto where, he, where he's from, uh, November 12th, uh, the Bitcoin fixes everything meetup, uh, and there will be cold cards given away and some Bitcoin too at the meetup, but it, supposedly this is his second one ever. The first one was massive success. So. If you're in the area, consider going to that. That should be a lot of fun. Rodolfo's a fucking boss. Shout out to our Canadian freaks. Fucking love you guys. Big fan of Canada. 
uh, and Canadians in general, love your lifestyle, your, uh, your approach to life and your overall niceness. It's just appreciated in a world that's going, uh, pretty, pretty curmudgeonly these days. It looks like, uh, the guys behind Hoddle with Lendon, uh, with Lendon dot, is it Lendon dot IO? Lendon dot IO, L-E-D-N dot IO. Are also organizing it with him too. So shout out to them. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Lennon. Actually, they had a great, you guys should go check this out. They did the story in Coindesk. I know this is going to make a lot of Bitcoin maximalists freak out, but, uh, suck it up. Whether you like it or not, uh, a lot of people in LATM prefer stable coins to Bitcoin because they don't want the volatility risk. And Lennon is uh, leading the way down there and uh, allowing people to use Bitcoin as collateral to get stable coins uh, and uh, basically interact uh, outside of the traditional economy in LATAM. Uh, I think, did Lee write that? I don't know if Lee wrote it. She might have. Might have been Lee who wrote the uh, article. In well, she wrote two other great articles. Yeah, she, um, about the dissidents today? She wrote one about, uh, from a Chinese perspective, uh, we have both links in the show notes, and uh, one from a Lebanese perspective. Uh, and we're about to talk about both those reasons, but at least this one connects more in Argentina. They just, um, uh, made their capital controls even stronger. So before it was 10,000 per month, uh, USD, you were allowed to move out of the country. Um, now it's $200 per month. Per month. So you can see like with the service like Lendon, um, like, yeah, Lendon, Lendon, Lendon. It's a horrible name to be honest. Uh, I think that, yeah, you know, it's just hard to pronounce. I don't even, anyway, but that's besides the point. Cool product. Uh, they, there's, it's a two sided business, right? Like they need a fiat rail and they need a Bitcoin rail. That's the whole, that's their whole product. Um, and if you're in a place like Argentina, you don't have a USD fiat rail. So like, yeah, stable coins are, they require trust in a third party. I think they're inherently unstable in the they, long they run. can break at any moment you know there it's impossible to like cold store storage a stable coin because at any moment it could be worthless uh so but with all that said like at the end of the day like would you trust tether more than your argentinian government like yeah like if you don't have access to u.s dollars you don't have access to u.s dollars right it provides another thing as long as people are aware of those risks and how they are mitigated with something like Bitcoin and like the trade-offs there, then, you know, options are good. Yeah. And that's just come to grips with reality on the ground in these uh, Latin American countries in particular, Bitcoin is used as a rail, not necessarily as a, as a currency right now. It's a rail to get uh, money moving. Some obviously do hold uh, Bitcoin long-term for like a hodl stash, but to interact in the economy with cryptocurrency, stable coins are the go-to down there. But again, this isn't a, endorsement of oh maybe it is a little endorsement of stable coins uh, right now but in the long run again uh, they're underlied by they're underlied by what i would argue are unstable systems one being the us dollar or something like dai i don't think has uh, had enough maker dow in particular has had not enough uh, time to be tested in the wild uh, it's risk management system in particular but uh, if it's working right now and it's making these people's lives better who the fuck are we to to knock that use case, right? Yeah, and I mean, I think like a lot of the, a lot of the issues I have with the more centralized uh, stable coins like USDC and stuff like that from Gemini is that at any moment the government can just, like basically they have de facto KYC chain wide. Um, and if they don't, they will have to. 
But like if you're an Argentinian, like that doesn't, does that really matter to you? No, you don't care if you do the KYC. You just want the fucking dollars. Like you need to have access to that exposure. Um, so like I kind of see that, you know, and, and something with Tether, like even more so because, you know, that's like completely rebel. There's no going to be no KYC there. They're just like breaking banking regs. Left Was there right. any clarity on what happened with crypto capital last week? I've been asking people. No, I can't really get a knows. straight answer. Yeah. That was the other theory. Did you see Preston Burns' theory about the pump? No. It was just people running out of Tether and running out of Bitfinex. So, um, yeah, so apparently, I, is this a rumor or true? I don't know. Apparently, Polish police arrested the head of Crypto Capital, which is the weird bank that's holding $800 million of Tether's money. Which That is, was seized. That was seized. Yeah. It's holding their, I think that's I, legit. It's holding their IEO cash, right? No, no, no. The IEO came after to pay it back. The eight hundred million that was missing. Yeah, the U.S. dollar. The U.S. It. The U.S. government seized the eight hundred million, and as a result, they went to Crypto Capital. Did the IA? That's the way. No, I, no, 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 no. Crypto Capital was holding their eight hundred million dollars in Crypto Capital bank accounts, and then the U.S. government seized it last week, or that that was months no, 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 ago. No, right. And now they arrested one of the main guys oh, of Crypto Capital. Okay, I'm confused yeah. about this right the now. Crypto ca- the funds that were seized from Crypto Capital are the funds that were being so-called replaced by the IEO the and the most ridiculous token name ever what the fuck is their name onus said leo or something leo leo no no but there's a full name have you seen the full name i don't think so i just heard leo the full name is like three different syllables it's pretty crazy i don't know yeah it's a long story short stable coins inherently unstable in the long run it requires trusted third parties yada 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 um but also their customers might be holding a portion in stable coins and a portion in uh at the end of the, like at the end of the day, it's easy for us to say that that trust profile isn't good enough for us when we're able to hold U.S. dollars in a bank, bank account, which yeah. I don't really trust my bank, but I'm forced to. But I trust them enough that I keep some in there. Like I feel like that's like this level of trust they have with stablecoins, right? Is like they know they can get fucked at any moment. I know I can get fucked at any moment at the bank. I'm just taking that risk reward ratio, you know, into account and and making a calculated decision. Yeah. Um, so be aware and, and hone in more on the uh, other aspect of this. People are uh, are are being forced into doing things like this because uh, their countries and central banks are instituting these uh, crazy bans. So Lebanon, you can't move cash out of the country uh, right now. They've been I believe their banks were shut down for. Are they still shut down? Yeah. So what are we on day twelve? It's, yeah, it's pretty. It's been a while now. Yeah, it's been like almost two weeks that their banks have been shut down. Argentina again. We mentioned two hundred dollars per money month. Out. You can't pull money out. And this is why we Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, There's yeah. No- like stable coins don't solve this problem long term. Yeah, but they provide this intermediate bridge. Yeah, and and the data is proving that. Like it's not theoretical. Like you can just look at what people are doing on the ground. This is uh, an observation of what's happening, not a prescription of. Uh, what we think should happen. Also, you can track uh, Argentinian local Bitcoin's volume on usefultulips.org. Oh, dude. We um, don't have that on the list. Shout out Matt Albor coming out with some great data. Yeah. I mean, that was the first thing I checked when I saw Argentina lowered it to uh, 200. You know, the volume is like closest to all-time highs, but it's still like pretty negligible volume. Um, I wonder what the spreads are like over there because it'll be pretty hard to arb out. You know what we're going to do here, Matt? We're going to do something we don't do usually. What? Give props to Coinbase. Or, no, we're not actually giving them props. That, that was a good blog post. I don't, know, I don't know. They're bending the knee a little bit. What know? do you think? Delete Coinbase. I think, <laughs> I think that blog post is what happens when you start 
realizing everyone's eating your lunch, including Cash App, you know? Yeah. Shout out Cash App. But yeah, Coinbase today released a post. Uh, we didn't have this on the list, but Marty decided to talk about it. They released a post today. Well, it was confirming this information that people yeah. on... They were they released a post today that not only gotta give props where props are due. Not only did they say Bitcoin many times, which they don't like saying Bitcoin, uh, they also said that the best way to get long term exposure to this entire asset class of all their cryptos is to stack sets, and they actually used the term stacking sets. Uh, and they were also bullish on Lightning in the post, which is crazy. This is like a. That's this what I'm saying. Like, you got to get props where props are due. This is like the post you'd expect, like in an alternate universe where Coinbase never like went down the shitcoin rabbit hole and just was maintained themselves as a Bitcoin company. Like this is the type of post you see on the 11th year anniversary. So it's like really crazy to see. Um, I'm glad they're like coming around a bit, but you know, delete Coinbase, like use anything else, basically. Yeah, they're they're. That was a good thing they did on that blog post, but uh, it's one mark in the good column. There's yeah. a lot of marks in the bad column still. Hey, redemption. Kanye's redeeming himself right now. Maybe Coin- Coinbase can redeem themselves in the Coin-yay, future. Coinye, I like that. Coinye. slip. Coinye. Let's go. Let's get Coinye back. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll end it on. That was the other thing, the Kanye pump, right? It could have been could Kanye, have been Kanye. Released, Kanye released Jesus is King within the 10 minutes that we pumped 25%. <laughs> and I'm just going to say my thing on Jesus is King. The fact that uh, being religious is counterculture right now is pretty crazy. Or not crazy, but it's just hilarious that it is counterculture. And I'm very happy to see Kanye uh, on his journey. Because if you've listened to his discography, we've talked about Kanye a lot on this podcast. Um, he has gone through a journey. It's, a, it's interesting to see how open he is, or how open he has been with Jesus as King in particular. We missed one topic. Well, we didn't. No, we're, I know exactly what you're saying. We did not miss the topic. We're no, not. no, not the topic you want to talk about. We missed the Wired hit piece on sanctions. Oh, yeah. Sanctions evasion. Okay. So, so Wired released topics. a whole post about how um, former Soviet bloc countries and in Russia, uh, the mining sector is blowing up. Uh, the Bitcoin mining, cryptocurrency mining in general sector is increasing tremendously through government incentives. Um, because it's such an easy way to evade sanctions. And they did it as a hit piece. Like everything was super negative the way they framed everything. But it's still a really interesting piece to read because Bitcoin is ideal for evading sanctions. Uh, whether we like it or not, it is ideal for the common person and it's also ideal for, for a government entity who wants to evade sanctions. And I think that if you... Uh, like Bitcoin's the ideal currency for someone like Putin... Uh, and if he's actually has a Bitcoin strategy of accumulation, he's not going to uh, talk about it out loud because he's not an idiot. I agree. I agree. Sorry, I just took a sip of water there. Um, no, that's what we were talking about with Alpha Zeta. Like, what is the, the geo- you don't talk about it, right? Yeah, just we just it. recorded with Alpha. That's going to drop next week. Yeah, we had him on with Bitcoin Tina earlier, the end of the summer. Uh, to talk about the the uh, yield curve inversion, and then we got to meet him in person today. Great morning. We got breakfast, recorded a podcast. The best part of the podcast is meeting Bitcoiners and just from all around the world. Yeah. Um, so be on the lookout for that next week as well. Um, topic I wanted to end it on was something I wrote about in the Bent yesterday. It's about central planning in general and how these central bankers and central planners uh, overall think about their influence over uh, the global economy, uh, so central bankers in particular. 
uh, in America, more particularly the Richmond Fed, which is one of the the Federal Reserve um, banks. I think there's 13, 12 or 13. Uh, My history is uh, fuzzy right now. I'm pretty sure it's 13. 13 central banks around the country. The Richmond Fed is one of them. And they came out with an academic paper earlier this month uh, titled, let me pull up the title here, Cognitive Hubs and Spatial Redistribution. And basically, uh, the thesis of the paper is that we need to get all the dumb people out of the cities, away from the smart people, and into their own cognitive hubs so that the smart people can be as productive as possible. So they're in, in the Orwellian talk in this paper, the title is Cognitive Hubs and Spatial Redistribution. This is fucking insane. They're describing gulags and like hunger game like levels are saying if you're not smart enough to be in this quote-unquote cognitive hub we're going to move you to this other cognitive hub where your cognitive abilities are such that you will not disrupt the smart people and you have to live here and produce on your cognitive level we're going to spatially redistribute you to this area are you fucking kidding? Marty is furious right now. You should see his eyes. It's fucking insane. They're like, I guess the big issue here, right, is like who decides, right? Who decides who's like an, an I idiot? Don't, and who's I don't think not? this will who ever. Who decides who's not exactly? And what about people having kids in these cognitive hubs? Like, are you going to take their kids away if they're not smart enough and send them to another cognitive hub? Like, well, if the well, first of all, I don't even know why the Fed's hope, talking oh, wait, about. Wait, I just want to say, I hope my cognitive hub's near a beach. <laughs> <laughs> what, like. Do you have an issue with it if it was like privatized cognitive hubs? No, yes, yes. Because you're trying to, because the whole, <laughs> the whole point of this study is to try to, um, to measure and uh, basically chart out human productivity, which is fucking impossible. Humans are animals. You cannot predict what humans do, let alone individuals. Like you cannot produce this optimality and this is why the fed is fucking stupid this is what they try to do for our whole fucking economy is optimize a trillion dollar multi-trillion dollar global economy from central planning they think they can model out perfect productivity that is fucking impossible and this paper is just one example of their hubris like they think that they can allocate us into cognitive hubs spatially redistribute us into redistribute us into cognitive hubs and perfectly map out our productivity as humans and get the most growth out of our out of our existence right but fuck that but is your these are the people running our money these are the people running our money the most important tool that we use as humans these this is how they think they're crazy I'm sorry, that's like, it, it infuriated me yesterday. Yeah, but is the issue the, the cognitive hubs or is the issue the central distribution? It's all of it. Is the it, fact that you can... But like, what is if you had a situation... Spatially redistribute. What, what the fuck? How Orwellian is that term? But what is it? Very, very Orwellian. But it's because you're actually doing a centralized redistribution, right? Like, what is if you had like Citadel-esque situation... Where you had to apply to well, access this citizenship what, to the Citadel, right? Jeff Vander brought this up. Like, we, we dream about Citadels all day. This might be what a Citadel future looks like. And I am... But if it's privatized, is that a problem? Like, is, like should, should a government be able to say, like, if you want to immigrate into our country, like, you have to have certain qualifications. Well, like, it, if you want to immigrate into my Citadel, you I, have I to have certain qualifications. It's, it's got to be opt-in. 
It, it would be privatized on that situation. If it's out right? there, like, but spatially redistribute is, is not that's the fucked up. The fucked up part is that it's like a central actor is deciding yes. who if is, it's opt in, who is willing, who better. is, uh, but also I would, I would argue that like these, the capable and who's not the drive to do this is bad for culture, bad for society, bad for social interactions with humans. We should not be driving to divide people and separate them by their, their economic work. We should be trying to bring everybody up. Right. It shouldn't be, I mean, the last thing we need is more government intervention. Yeah. And the last right. thing we need is government spatially redistributing people. This is a... Uh, no, I agree. I'm, I'm, I, you, sh- you should be mad as hell. But uh, This came out from the Richmond Fed. Somebody from that Fed board has a direct undue influence over your life via influence on Fed policy. These people run the most important tool that exists in human history, and that is money. And they want to spatially redistribute you into cognitive hubs. Wake the fuck up. My cognitive hub is going to be dope, though. <laughs> it's going to be by a beach. Celebrate the 11th anniversary of the white paper. Don't forget to fast for Satoshi. Fast. Break fast at block 602,000. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Fight the fight against spatial redistribution. Stay humble, stack sats. Peace and love, freaks.